Talk not of love, it gives me pain, for love has been my foe. He bound me in an iron chain and plunged me deep in woe. But friendship's pure and lasting joys my heart was formed to prove. The worthy object be of those, but never talk of love. The hand of friendship I accept, may honour be our guard. Virtue our intercourse direct, her smiles our dear reward. A woman stands alone on a dock, watching the gleaming cerulean blue ocean, gently wash in and out of the harbour. She swats at a mosquito, the bane of her life for the three months she's been here, before dabbing her forehead with a handkerchief. The heat's oppressive, and from it there seems to be no escape. In the distance, bobbing up and down in the gentle tidal breaks sits the Rosette, the same ship that had brought her here those months before was about to take her home. This was Kingston, Jamaica, in April of 1791. One of the jewels in the crown of the British Empire, it was populated by nearly 27,000 people. Nearly 60% of them were slaves. The woman had come seeking reconciliation with her husband, the kind of man who is often the villain of these stories, a cruel, heartless, wicked slave owner. James McLehose had wooed his wife as a youngster, married her in Glasgow, much to the chagrin of her father, and she had borne him four children in four years. One of them, little William, had died in infancy. Just before the birth of her fourth child, she decided to leave him. His cruelty and abuse had gone too far. She returned to her father's home, and James found himself in debtor's prison before sailing off to Jamaica, sent away by his family, who were tired of paying his debts. He had one last parting shot at his wife before taking their three sons away from her. He wrote her in a letter. For my part, I'm willing to forget what has passed. Neither do I require an apology from you. So there she stood, nine years on from her final separation from the man who had called on her all those years ago. Three months after having come all this way to reconcile with a man who she reviled to the core. Three months after finding that he was living a comfortable family life with his mistress, who was a slave, while mistreating his other workers. The water ebbed and her blood was sucked by the mosquitoes she despised so much. The heat sapped away at her, taking away her will to fight for something she didn't really want that much anyway, until it was time to go home. She had come to Jamaica to escape something which, in the eyes of her family, would cause further scandal. She had come all this way at their behest to avoid the worst kept secret in Scottish society circles. Mrs Agnes McLehose, Nancy to her friends, and we will become her friends, was involved in a scandalous affair with Robert Burns. From Be Quiet Media, this is Scotland, a show about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. Friday evening, 28th December, 1787. The morning sun shines glorious and bright and fills the heart with wonder and delight. He dazzles in meridian splendour seen without a blackening cloud to intervene. So, at a distance viewed, your genius bright, your wit, your flowing numbers can delight. 
When errors darkening, clouds arise. When passion thunders, folly's lightning flies. More safe we gaze, but admiration dies. And as the tempting brightness snares the moth, sure ruin marks too near approach to both. Clarinda. After she told her husband where he could shove himself, Nancy threw herself into the pursuits that an educated woman in Edinburgh High Society could afford to take part in. She was an excellent poet, and graced many a society function with her rapier wit and conversational skill. One such function was a tea party, given by Miss Erskine Nimmo in December 1787. Nancy had heard all about a young farmer from Ayrshire, whose prose was causing a storm in the Scottish literary scene, and saw the party as a perfect chance to meet him. It was on that day, in that room, over tea brought in from the colonies off the backs of slaves, that Nancy McLehose met the love of her life. It was there that she met Robert Burns. She took a fancy to the unmarried Burns straight away, and invited him to tea at her home in Edinburgh's Potter's Row. Burns didn't make it, as he fell out of a cab. They say due to the actions of a drunken driver, but I've fallen out of a cab before too, and it wasn't the driver who was drunk. He wrote to her, explaining the nature of his misfortunes. His doctor had told him to stay off his knee, and probably off the whiskey. Over the next couple of months, they managed to meet a few times. On one occasion, Burns turned up on a sedan chair, a kind of carriage powered by people, one carrying either side. Such was the serious, agonising, damned hard knock to the knee he'd taken. Over the next few months, they exchanged letters and verse at a postal service infuriating rate, and found themselves caught up in a passionate, if unconsummated, affair. Nancy was an extremely devout Christian, a Calvinist with staunch morality instilled in her by years of the church, for every part of her which, in reading the letters, you realise she wanted to cast those shackles off. She was bound, and in many cases protected, by her religion. Burns, on the other hand, had no such qualms. In order to protect her reputation, should anyone ever come across the letters, she suggested they take on Arcadian names. Nancy became Clorinda, and Burns Sylvander. Their correspondence for all the drawing room niceties and vaunty praise of their esteemed friends is some of the most lovelorn in history. Monday evening, 18th February, 1788. The attraction of love, I find, is in an inverse proportion to the attraction of the Newtonian philosophy. In the system of Sir Isaac, the nearer objects are to one another, the stronger is the attractive force. In my system, Every milestone that marks my progress from Clorinda awakened a keener pang of my attachment to her. How do you feel, my love? Is your heart ill at ease? I fear it. God forbid that these persecutors should harass that peace, which is more precious to me than my own. Be assured that I shall ever think of you, muse on you, and, in my moments of devotion, pray for you. The hour that you are not in all of my thoughts, be that hour darkness, let the shadows of death cover it. Let it not be numbered in the hours of the day. When I forget the darling theme, be my tongue mute, my fancy paint no more, and dead to joy forget my heart to beat. I have just met with my old friend, the ship captain. Guess my pleasure to meet you could alone have given me more.
is a bit more involved than Tinder, I suppose, but it's not a million miles away. We'll have more right after this. I'd love to hear your feedback and any ideas you have for the show. If you have a special area of interest, something you're studying, or something you're really, really passionate about that you'd like to talk about, get in touch. We're on Twitter, at Be Quiet Media. You can find us on Facebook, or you can email scotland at bequiet.media. Now back to the show. Burns, for all his incredible talent as a poet, was very much the oversexed society playboy he is often portrayed as being, and his respect for women as anything more than playthings was often lacking. While he was unmarried at the time of his writing to Nancy, to say he was chaste in her absence would be pretty wide of the mark. Nancy was reluctant to be in a relationship with Burns, as she had relied on the generosity of her cousin, so a scandalous physical affair with Burns could see her end up destitute. Not that they let that stop them, at least not all the time. This led to Burns having a short, child-bearing affair with Jenny Clough, a maid who, depending on whose account you read, was either maid to an Edinburgh household, or worse still, to Nancy herself. For all Burns' feelings for Nancy pour out in the words of the letters, he was never beyond a conquest of the physical nature. In order to legitimise himself as a member of society, Burns had sought a commission with customs and excise, but the excise were uncomfortable about commissioning someone who was unmarried and, to all intents and purposes, a flighty poet. Burns returned to Ayrshire and wrote to Nancy about Jean Armour, a woman whose name he had trodden on numerous times in the past, and with whom he had a child. Now for a little news that will please you. I, this morning as I came home, called for a certain woman. I'm disgusted with her. I cannot endure her. I, while my heart smote me for the profanity, tried to compare her with my Clorinda, t'was setting the expiring glimmer of a farthing taper beside the cloudless glory of the meridian sun. Here was tasteless insipidity, vulgarity of soul and mercenary fawning. There, polished good sense, heaven-born genius, and the most generous, the most delicate, the most tender passion. I have done with her, and she with me. They married six weeks later. Burns left it to a friend to tell Nancy, and replaced the silhouette he wore of her with one of Jean, featuring the inscription, to err is human, to forgive, divine. They exchanged a flurry of letters in which he meekly defended his actions, and then, eventually, the correspondence resumed behind Jean Armour's back. In November of 1791, Burns received another letter from Agnes Maclehose. Sir, I take the liberty of addressing a few lines in behalf of your old acquaintance, Jenny Clough, who to all appearance is at this moment dying. Obliged from all the symptoms of a rapid decay to quit her service, she has gone to a room almost without common necessaries, untended and unmourned. In circumstances so distressing, to whom can she so naturally look for aid as to the father of her child, the man for whose sake she has suffered many a sad and anxious night, shut from the world with no other companions than guilt and solitude. You have now an opportunity to evince you indeed possess those fine feelings you have delineated, so as to claim the just admiration of your country. I am convinced I need add nothing further to persuade you to act as every consideration of humanity must dictate. I am, sir, 
Your sincere well-wisher, A.M. The tone so different. The accusation returned. Burns sent five shillings to be sent on to Jenny before he arrived in Edinburgh the next week. Jenny passed away, and so Vander and Clorinda met for the last time on December 6th, 1791. She wrote in her diary 40 years later. This day I can never forget. Parted with Burns in the year 1791. Never more to meet in this world. Oh, may we meet in heaven. Her Sylvander returned to Dumfries. His Clorinda booked passage on the Rosette in an attempt to patch things up with her husband after hearing from a ship captain in Leith that he'd been speaking fondly of her. She sent a few lines on before she boarded. My ever dear, dear friend, we are ordered aboard on Saturday to sail on Sunday. And now, my dearest sir, I have a few things to say to you as the last advice of her who could have lived or died with you. I am happy to know of your applying so steadily to the business you have engaged in. But remember, this life is a short passing scene. Seek God's favour, keep his commandments, be solicitous to prepare for a happy eternity. There I trust we will meet, in perfect and never-ending bliss. Read my former letters attentively. Let the religious tenets there expressed sink deep into your mind. Meditate on them with candour, and your accurate judgement must be convinced that they accord with the words of eternal truth. Laugh no more at holy things or holy men. Remember, without holiness, no man shall see God. Another thing, and I have done, as you value my peace, do not write me to Jamaica until I let you know you may with safety. Write Mary often, she feels for you. And, and then in April she stood on that dock, looking out over the cerulean blue ocean, having found Jamaica the opposite of what she'd hoped thinking about the poet, the lesser of two evils, perhaps. Lustful, untrustworthy, foolish. The man whose parting gift to her had been a remembrance on their final meeting, called A Fond Kiss, performed here by Cairngorm.
any anniversary and story, any celebration at which Burns was mentioned all the way into her old age, Nancy McElhose would write in her diary. Things I never can forget. been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park. A Fond Kiss was performed for us by Cairn Gorm. You can find them online at cairngormmusic.com. The voice of Nancy McElhose was Leanne Milne. The music was by the enigma that is Mitch Bain. You can find out more about the show on our website, thisisscotland.co, and get in touch with any feedback you have for us on Twitter at Be Quiet Media, or we're on Facebook if you search for Scotland, Scottish History Podcast. Thanks again for listening.